You know, this morning I was thinking, as your pastor, you know, oftentimes I hear the things, the struggles that you go through, and, and you know, as a pastor, you know the, the tensions that go on in a church sometimes and the issues that, that people deal with. And, and this morning, I, before I begin, I just want to encourage you this morning to hold on to Jesus. You know, I believe that the devil knows his time is so very, very short. And I know that in many circumstances, we often don't realize he's using every avenue there is to steal our soul from the kingdom of heaven. And I don't know what all your troubles are, but I know we all are in the same boat. And um, I just don't want us to forget that Jesus is in the boat with us today. So I hope that you'll remember that today, and I hope that you'll realize that it's not going to get easier before Jesus comes. That's why now we have to be developing a walk with Him that cannot be severed. We cannot be allowing ourselves to fall back into the world. We have to realize that Jesus is calling us out of the world. You know, when I was 32 years old, my father passed away. And uh, as I was thinking about this this morning and kind of trying to remember when it happened in 1986, and <clears throat> I know some of you are doing some addition there, but, um, you know, I thought about it, and just a year and a half before my father passed away, my son was born in, in um, 1980, so it was a little bit sooner. Garrett was, no, Garrett was born in 84, 86, that's right. Garrett was born in 84, so two years before my father passed away, my son was born. And um, they had come to visit us in our new little home. Garrett was probably six or seven months old, and my parents had a motor home, and they came and they parked out in front of our house and hooked up, and, and it was just a, a really nice week to spend with my parents, you know. I, my, father my father and I always got along really well. Uh, although my father wasn't the type of dad that would come out and throw a baseball with you and, and do things like that, but I always knew that my father was there for me. I always knew that he loved me, and I always knew that he was doing his best to provide, and he was very consistent with all of his kids, very fair. He was a very fair man and very consistent. But one day we had a conversation when he was visiting, and I asked my father, I said, you know, I was basically born into the Seventh-day Adventist church. My mother is a Seventh-day Adventist. You sent all of your kids through Seventh-day Adventist schools. And I said, but yet you aren't. And I said, I'm just curious how a man could encourage his wife to go from being a Baptist to join the Seventh-day Adventist church, but yet not join with her and then send all of his children through Adventist schools and still not be a part of the church. I said, I'm just curious, what is it that kept you from joining and being a part of the Seventh-day Adventist church? And he thought for a minute, he said, well, you know, there was a couple of things that I had trouble with. He said, one of them is, I never really saw where the Bible said you can't drink wine. Now, you know, that was an interesting thing because my dad didn't drink wine. I thought, oh, okay. And then he said, and, and I've never been really excited or, or I've never been real happy with how they handle tithe. I said, okay. 
And he said, and then there's a couple of books that the Bible mentions, and actually the Bible mentions 28 books that are not in the canon of Scripture. And he was kind of upset because those books weren't in Scripture, and he thought maybe somebody had tampered with it. Well, we continued our conversation for a little while, and my father stayed with us for another few days, my father and mother, and they left, and, you know, I really began thinking about what he said. And, you know, sometimes there are things in Scripture that maybe we don't understand. Sometimes there may be things that we find difficult to grasp, but what I want you to know this morning before we begin is that there is nothing that you or I need to know today that God has not laid out plainly in Scripture for us. So I want you to follow along with me on just a brief study. My sermon is actually in three parts this morning. And I do want you to know, too, that this is going to be an ongoing series. And I can't tell you how long it will go because I can't tell you how long God's going to impress me to keep talking to you about the Sabbath. But today we're going to talk about why God said remember. But before we get into that part of the sermon, we're going to start with another little part of the sermon. And I want you to go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Now if you know your Bible well, these verses probably immediately come to your mind. But I want to make sure everyone's there. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles under the seats that you can grab, and it's always good to look for yourself to see what the Word of God says. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse 15. Paul says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto what? Unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. How much scripture? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That word perfect in the Greek means complete. You see, you and I are not complete without Jesus Christ. But you see, God has told us that all Scripture, if there's something that's not in Scripture, then we don't have to worry about it, do we? Because God says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So everything that is in this book, we know, is inspired of God. So if someone mentions another book that may not be there, I don't have to worry about what I might be missing because what I need to know is all right here. Now, I want you to go just right across in my Bible. It's just right across the page. 2 Timothy 2 and 15. You know this verse very well also. Study to show thyself approved unto who? Unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You see, you may need to know the way of salvation. As Barry preached last week, what must I do to be saved? That's the question in everyone's heart. Everyone wants to know. Some may not want to work for what would they find out, but everyone wants to know. And the good news is, is the Bible says that if we study we can understand what God's will is for us. But also we should be studying for His approval. Not so we can go off and rattle off verses to someone else or to beat them over the head with the Word of God, but so that we can be approved by God. Go to John chapter 5, verse 39, another verse you know very well. 
Jesus is speaking in John 5, 39. In John 5 and verse 39, he said, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Now, my brothers and sisters, this morning, I hope that when you study the Word of God, that you are studying to know Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said in John 17, 3, This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Are you studying the Word of God to know who He is and to know His will for your life? Just a few chapters over in John 14 and verse 6. John 14 and verse 6. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the truth. Today we are studying about truth. And you see, my brothers and sisters, when we know the truth, we will know the way to life everlasting. Studying to show ourselves approved unto God and not man. You see, this morning what I want you to understand as we begin, and the reason why we're veering off a little bit from why God said remember, is because you need to know this morning that truth is not yours, truth is not mine, truth is God's. We have the privilege and the opportunity to walk in truth, but truth is God's and God's alone. (laughs) You see, the problem that we have in the postmodern world which we talk about a lot, is that in the postmodern world, truth is relative. And I'm here to tell you this morning that truth is not relative. Truth is relevant. Truth is always relevant because truth comes from God. And this morning, I want to do a short study with you on truth. Because you see, truth transcends time and culture. Go with me to Exodus 34 and verse 6. You remember a few months ago we were talking about the character of God. And in Exodus 34 and verse 6, God is sharing with Moses different attributes of his character. Exodus 34 and verse 6. And the Bible says, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and what? And truth. An attribute of God's character is truth. Now go with me to the book of Psalms. And this will be the end of our little study. We're just going to hit a few real quickly. Psalms chapter 25. The good news is, is they're all in Psalms and they're all close together. But we'll see a very clear picture of truth as we look at these few verses this morning. Psalms chapter 25 and verse 5. The psalmist said, Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Truth belongs to God. And if you and I want to study the word of God, then we can study and understand truth for ourselves. Psalms chapter 26, just the next very next chapter, verses 2 and 3. Again, the psalmist says, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart, for thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked what? 
in thy truth. You see, truth belongs to God, and you and I are making a decision every day whether or not we are going to choose to walk in truth. Now, doesn't it make sense that if truth belongs to God, then the devil would come along in this postmodern age in which we live. The devil would come along and he would say, now, you need to understand that truth is relative. It's not from God. Truth is relative. You have your truth and I have my truth. The sad truth about that is, is the reality is that someone is going to be wrong. And when the day of judgment comes, when Jesus does come to return, those who thought their truth would be whatever they chose will find out that there is only one truth, and that is the truth that is in Christ Jesus. Why is that important this morning? It's not that we go around saying, oh, we have all the truth. You don't have truth. We have all the truth. It's that we understand that truth is only found in the Word of God. And if I want to know what real truth, real lasting truth is, then I need to go to this book. I don't need to be listening to someone else. I don't need to be listening to what other people say they believe or they feel or they think. I need to know what the Word of God says. Now, I want you to go with me to one more verse, Psalms 100. Psalms 100, I think most of us would say, is what we call the the praise chapter. Psalms 100. (laughs) Psalms 100, you know, it's only five verses. Let's read it together. Read with me. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. So this morning as we begin, I want you to have clearly in your minds that truth is God's. You and I can only walk in his truth. We don't have truth unless we have God abiding in us. We don't have truth unless we are walking according to His Word. But the good news is, is that truth doesn't change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we understand that once we have found the truth, we can stand confident in the truth of Jesus Christ. Amen? So the world may change all around us, and the world may try to say, oh, you're living in the modern era. You're living in the early modern era. You're living in the ancient era. We can say, praise God, because my Bible says, seek the old paths and the old ways. And I want to walk in truth that endures to all generations. Do you? So this morning, I want you to just think of a few things about truth. Number one, it's not our truth, but God's truth. We have the privilege of walking in God's truth and leading others to truth. A few little things that I thought were interesting that I wanted to share with you about truth today. Truth must be more than a set of rules, doctrines, or dogma. It must have meaning in the life of the one who holds it, or it will have no power. Truth is what God says about a thing. 
Beware of half-truth, you may get hold of the wrong half. There is no fit search after truth which does not, first of all, begin to live the truth it knows. The best method of eradication of error is to publish and practice truth. Anytime you find that truth stands in your way, you may be sure that you are headed in the wrong direction. And this one, I believe, is the most important of all. And actually, someone put this up on Facebook today. And Joni found this. It says, further, The further society drifts from the truth, the more they will hate the one who speaks it. That's by George Orwell. The further society drifts from the truth, the more they will hate the one who speaks it. Remember in John 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. John 17, 17, what did he say? Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. But you see, man has tried to distort the truth of God. Man has tried to make God's truth his truth. He has tried to twist the scriptures, as the Bible says in 2 Peter 3.16, to his own destruction. Now, Jesus has something to say about men trying to change the law of God, his word. I want you to go with me before we get into our Sabbath study now. This is our last verse on the truth. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 through 9. Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 through 9. Jesus said, Ye hypocrites, well did I say as prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth. And honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Now, as we move further on in this message today, I want you to remember that statement teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. You see, the whole issue of the great controversy is about what? Worship. The whole issue of the great controversy is about worship. We will touch on that in just a little bit. Before we go any further, I'm going to ask you to kneel with me for a word of prayer, if you're able. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne just now. We are going to look at a subject that many of us have grown up knowing all of our lives. But I pray that the impact that is made upon our hearts today will change us, not only in the way that we view the Sabbath, but in the way we view, the way you have laid out this plan of salvation, in the way that we view the world and the call that you've given us to minister to the world, to reach out to those around us. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will not only attend our service today, but that even now as I am praying, that you will empower me to give this message according to your purpose and your will, that you will soften the hearts of everyone in this room today, that their minds would be open and cleared of any debris that would be causing confusion, and that you would make this message very plain to our hearts because it truly will be the issue whereby we make the decision 
of whether or not we will spend eternity with you or go to eternal destruction. So we pray for your blessing and your presence now. Guide us as we study your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I grew up, as I mentioned earlier, living in the truth of the Sabbath. My mother was a baptized, she had been a, she had been a Baptist, and she was baptized in the Seventh-day Adventist church only a year or so before I was born. So from the day I was born, I was going to Adventist churches. And I would come home on Sabbath afternoons as I got older, and my sister and my mother and I, and we would sit on the couch, and my mother would get out the hymnal, and we would sing hymns together. She would teach us how to sing harmony. And I grew up in the truth of the Seventh-day Sabbath. It's interesting to me that as I moved out at 18 years of age and I got my first job in a steel foundry, when I went to make application for that first job, I was tested on the Sabbath truth. And I've told this story to you before, but when I went in on that first day and I told the owner of this steel foundry that I don't work on Sabbaths because I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, he said, that's not a problem. We don't work Saturdays. We have a five-day work week here. And so he hired me knowing that I keep the Sabbath. And it was only a month after I had started work that the owner's son came in and said, we just got this huge contract from U-Haul. And we're going to have to do seven-day weeks for three months. I, I, I stood there. Now, it was interesting, and this is why I believe God knows everything that goes on in your life. Because before I made anything, he said, Now, if any of you aren't going to be able to work Saturdays... Now, why do you say Saturday? What about Sunday? He just said, if any of you aren't going to be able to work Saturdays, I need you to stay after and talk to me. Well, two of us, as I told you before, stayed. And he asked us the question. He said, okay, if I tell you you either have to work Saturday or you're going to lose your job, what are you going to do? And he looked at the other young man, and the other young man said, well, I guess I'll have to work. And then he looked at me, and he said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I told your dad when I first started working here, that I don't work on Saturdays, so I guess I lose my job. And he looked at the other young man and he said, I'll see you on Saturday. Ralph, you don't have to work Saturdays. Amen. Now, it's interesting to me that it was only a few years after that that I was working as a front-end mechanic in a tire shop and I had done the same thing with the owner of that business when I went in and applied for the job. Now, it was interesting because when I got that job, I was laid off from the steel foundry. Their work had slowed down. And I had just bought a set of tires and wheels. Now, if you're not in your 20s, you probably don't understand that. But I had just bought a nice set of tires and wheels for my Cougar. And so I was going in one day to let them know that, you know, the payments that I'm going to make on my tires and wheels, I'm probably going to be having to spread them out a little bit, maybe if we could make them a little smaller because I'm out of work right now. Well, the owner came in and he said, hey, how would you like to work those tires and wheels off? Come work for me for a couple of weeks. And he said, I'll just pay you under the table and you can just work those off. I said, well, yeah, that'd be great. I said, but I don't work on Saturdays. Well, that's okay. He said, you're just working these tires off. Don't worry about it. So I worked for two weeks, paid off my tires, and when I was getting ready to leave, he called me into his office. How would you like to come work for me full time? I said, well, that'd be great. I need a job. 
And he said, okay, well, why don't you start on Monday? I said, now, here's the thing. I know you're open on Saturdays from 7 to noon, and I don't work Saturdays. Oh, you won't have to work Saturdays. Don't worry about that. And so I went along, and I worked there for several years, never had a problem. And one morning I came in, and three other guys, it was the first morning in my life I'd ever been late. And I was late to work, and I came walking in, and on that same day three other guys were late. Well, the owner was walking around. He was so mad he was beside himself. And I walked in, and I was taking off my shirt to put on my work shirt, and I was standing by the locker, and I'm starting to button up my work shirt. And just as I'm buttoning up my work shirt, he comes busting out of the office, and he's screaming and yelling, and he's saying, okay, I'm just going to tell you right now, we're going to be working every day, and that includes Saturdays. Anybody that's not going to work Saturdays might as well punch out right now. Well, I hadn't punched in. So I just unbuttoned my shirt. And I put my other shirt back on, and I started to walk out to my 52 Chevy pickup. And I opened the door, and I got in. You know, a 52 Chevy pickup's got running boards on the side. And I got in my 52 Chevy pickup, and I I just started to start it up. And all of a sudden, the owner is standing on my running board, leaning in the window. And I looked at him, and he said, You told me that if I needed you to work on Saturdays, you'd work on Saturdays. I said, now, Al, you know that's not true. I said, I told you from the day I started here, I will not work on Saturdays. And I said, you know what, Al? I said, I'm not your problem. Your problem is those other guys who never show up to work. And I said, so if this is the way you want to work it, that's okay. But I'm not working Saturdays. I told you I wouldn't work Saturdays. I'll swear on a stack of Bibles you said you'd work on Saturdays. I said, Al, it doesn't matter what you'll swear on. I told you I wouldn't work on Saturdays, and I'm not going to work on Saturday. He's still standing on my running board. And he said, okay, if you'll come back in here and work, you don't have to work Saturdays. So twice in my young life, I faced the challenge of whether or not I would stand for the truth that I had learned growing up. Now, I want you to know today that I believe that every one of us in this room is going to face a test on their belief in the Sabbath. And I can tell you today that it may not be like mine was. It may be much different. I believe I'm going to face a test again on my belief in the Sabbath. And this is why I think this message today is so important. Turn with me, if you will, to our scripture for today. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Our topic today is why God said remember. Beginning in verse 8 of Exodus 20, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Today, I want to look at three questions as we think about why God said, remember. Number one, whose Sabbath is it? 
Number two, why did God say remember? And number three, do we still need to keep it today? So let's move quickly because I can see that clock is not slowing down for me. So let's go back now, if you will, with me to Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. The first question that we are looking at this morning is whose Sabbath is it? Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Verses we all know very well. We have rehearsed down in our minds when we are thinking of defense of the Sabbath. But listen carefully to what it says, and I hope you're paying attention. Thus the heaven and the earth were finished and all the rest of them. And the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God had created and made. Now, if you were to go read Genesis chapter 1, you would find that through the whole chapter of Genesis 1 that God is the subject of Genesis 1. God said, God made. God saw, God blessed. In almost every verse, God is doing something. So we see that God is very active in creation as he speaks the world into existence. It's all about what God is doing. And notice in verse 31 of chapter 1, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. You see, God looked down and he saw everything that he had done and he was satisfied with his work of creation. And at the end of the sixth day, God had completed his work of creating. Does that make sense to you? Then when we go and we look at verses 1 through 3 in Genesis 2, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And in verse 2 it says, And on the seventh day God ended His work. If you look at verses 2 and 3, you will notice that God or the pronoun for God is mentioned ten times. You think that the writer is wanting us to know that God was doing something? Notice in verses 2 and 3, And on the seventh day God ended His work which He had made, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it He had rested from all His work which God created and made. God did an awful lot there, didn't He? But what's interesting is the Bible says that God rested on the seventh day. And that word is Shabbat, meaning to cease. You see, God didn't stop and rest because he was tired. Because if you read Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 28, it says, Hast thou not seen, hast thou not heard, that the Lord God, the creator of the universe, neither is what? Tired or weary. God doesn't get tired. But it says that he ceased from his labor. We use that term today when you're in a court of law. It says that the prosecution rests its case. Are they resting their case because they're tired? No, because they've given all the information they feel they need to give. They have completed what they're presenting. And so at the end of that six days, God ceased his labor. You notice it's interesting, though. And this is something that we don't like sometimes as we try to present the Sabbath. There's nowhere in those three verses where it says that we should keep the Sabbath, is there? 
There's nowhere in those three verses where it says that you should keep the Sabbath holy in all your generations. You know, don't you ever wonder, you know, couldn't you have just made it a little easier, God, and said, you know, Adam, I've rested on the seventh day. I've blessed it. I've sanctified it. And I want you to rest on it in all your generations to keep my Sabbath. Wouldn't that have made it a lot easier? But I want you to know this morning that I believe God did this for a reason. Because you see, Genesis is the book of beginnings. And just like God created the world for man to enjoy, God created the Sabbath. You see, the Bible says there in verse 2, it says, And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested. Now, what I want you to notice is that God did not sanctify or hallow the Sabbath or bless it until the end of that first Sabbath. You're going, what? But you notice the wording. It says, And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, verse 2 of chapter 2, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it, He had rested from all his work which God created and made. Now listen to what inspiration says. The faith I live by, page 31. In six days the great work of creation had been accomplished, and God rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. God looked with satisfaction upon the work of his hands. All was perfect, worthy of its divine author. And he rested not as one weary, but as well pleased with the fruits of his wisdom and goodness and the manifestation of his glory. After resting upon the seventh day, God sanctified it or set it apart as a day of rest for man. Following the example of the Creator, man was to rest upon this sacred day, listen carefully, that as he should look upon the heavens and the earth, he might reflect upon God's great work of creation, and that as he should behold the evidences of God's wisdom and goodness, his heart might be filled with love and reverence for his Maker. You see, man was not able to keep the Sabbath holy until God made it holy. On that first Sabbath day, Adam and Eve hadn't worked six days. On that first Sabbath day, Adam and Eve, their first opportunity, think about it, what it must have been like. God finished all of his work that he had made. And on that first Sabbath day, they watched their creator rest. They learned on the first Sabbath how to keep the Sabbath. They watched their creator keep the first Sabbath. Then God sanctified that Sabbath and blessed it, and then God had shown Adam and Eve how to keep the Sabbath from that day forward. You see, my brothers and sisters, sometimes we learn things best by illustration. And God wanted to illustrate for man just how to keep his day holy. Our our study today is what you would call a topical study. And I want you to understand the difference between a topical study and merely a list of proof text. You see, the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 28, verses 9 and 10, that we are to study the Word of God, what? Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. We do that so that we understand what the entire Word of God says about a particular subject. 
We do it in order to know thoroughly what God is telling us about a subject. So when we study out the subject of the Sabbath, we want to study the Sabbath from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. We want to know what God said in Genesis and on through all the rest of the books, all the way down to what God says in the book of Revelation. We want to know everything that God says so that we really understand what God means when he tells us to remember the Sabbath. When we look at whose Sabbath it is, there are two questions that arise. Well, the world says, isn't the Sabbath for the Jews? And it wasn't it, wasn't it first given with the law at Sinai. Now, you know, we have verses that we generally go to, but I want you to look at these in a little different way today. Quickly go with me to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, and we're going to start with verse 23. And pay careful attention because remember, the issue is about whether or not the Sabbath is really God's Sabbath. Why did God say, remember the Sabbath? Whose Sabbath is it? Is it the Sabbath of the Jews? And is it a Sabbath that we should just not worry about because it was their Sabbath? Let's look at what God says now in Exodus chapter 16, verse 23. Moses is speaking, he said unto them, This is that which the Lord hath said. Tomorrow is the rest of the Holy Sabbath unto the Lord. So what day was this? Friday, right? Obviously, it was Friday. Tomorrow is the rest of the Holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which you will bake today, and seethe that you will seethe, and that which remaineth up over, lay over for you to be kept until the morning. And then down in verse 26, he says, Six days ye shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, it shall, there shall be none. In verse 27, and it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather, and they found none. Now, notice what God says. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? Now, when you look at that verse, it's pretty obvious then that there was a law of God that was already in existence. Is that right? And we know that when the law of God was presented to the children of Israel, that the Sabbath commandment was at the very heart of the law of God. So if the law of God was in existence before Mount Sinai, then obviously the Sabbath was in existence before Mount Sinai, right? Men were keeping the Sabbath before then. But now notice this next verse in verse 29. See, for that the Lord hath done what? The Lord hath given you the Sabbath. Now, remember the children of Israel had just been in bondage in Egypt for 400 years, and they had forgotten the Sabbath. But God is reminding them here before they ever get to Sinai, and he's saying, God hath given you the Sabbath. Now, that might be in harmony with what Jesus said in Mark, 20, Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 8, right? Where he said, the, the, the Lord, Jesus, the Son of Man, is Lord of the Sabbath, right? What I'm missing, what am I wanting to say here? Hold your Bibles there and go there. I can't believe this has left my mind. Mark chapter 2. 27 and 28, he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man. God says here in Exodus chapter 16, verse 29, see that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath. 
It's important to remember that the Sabbath is God's day. God set it aside. Remember, we had 10 times talking about what God did on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was God's day. He gave it to man so that we could rest and remember him. Go to Exodus chapter 31, verse 13. Exodus chapter 31. Exodus 31, and notice now again in verse 13, God is talking to Moses. He says, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily what? My Sabbath shall ye keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Ye shall keep the Sabbath holt, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death, for whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Now, why did God say, whosoever doeth any work shall be put to death? Remember what the Bible tells us in Romans 3, 23? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So God is just merely quoting what he's already told man that was going to happen in violation of his law. So do we see here that the Sabbath is obviously a part of the never-ending law of God? Here we again, we see the Sabbath couldn't have been the Jews because who kept the Sabbath first? God kept the Sabbath first. If God kept the Sabbath first, it's his Sabbath. The Jews would have had to keep the Sabbath first for it to be their Sabbath. Does that make sense? So the Sabbath was given to man by God. As we continue to study, we can easily see that the law and the Sabbath were both in existence long before Sinai. In Genesis chapter 24, verses 26, verses 4 and 5, God said that he approved of Abraham because Abraham kept his commandments, his statutes, and his laws. Abraham was long before the children of Israel. So point number one, the Sabbath was kept first by God, given by God to all mankind, and as Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. You see, as we have the privilege to walk in truth, we also have the privilege to observe or keep God's Sabbath day. Number two, why did God say, remember? Let's go back and look at the commandment just a few verses, chapters back in Exodus 20 again. Remember in the commandment, it started off with those very words. Why did God say, remember? That's the only commandment where God used that word. Every other commandment starts off differently, but the fourth commandment, he said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. He goes on down, and then in verse 11 again, he says, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Two reasons, I believe, that God said, remember. First, Israel had been in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. They had been forced out of keeping the Sabbath. And as they stopped keeping the Sabbath, they had begun to forget who their maker was. Inspiration puts it this way in the book Prophets, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 336. The Sabbath institution which originated in Eden is as old as the world itself. It was observed by all the patriarchs from creation down. During the bondage in Egypt, the Israelites were forced by their taskmakers to violate the Sabbath, and to a great extent they lost the knowledge of its sacredness. When the law was proclaimed at Sinai, the very first words of the fourth commandment were, Remember the Sabbath day 
to keep it holy. Showing that the Sabbath was not then instituted, we are pointed back for its origin to creation. In order to obliterate God from the minds of men, Satan aimed to tear down this great memorial. If men could be led to forget their creator, they would make no effort to resist the power of evil, and Satan would be sure of his prey. Secondly, why God said, remember, God knew that as time progressed, man would again lose sight of his law and the special day. He knew that the adversary would use men to seek to change times and laws. Why do you think it's so important that we study out prophecy? Daniel 7.25 tells us that there would be a power that would seek to change times and laws. As the law of God was trampled on by man, man would forget the Sabbath. In Maranatha, page 238, it says, The seventh day is God's chosen day. He has not left this matter to be remodeled by priest or ruler. It is too often great, too, of too great importance to be left to human judgment. God saw that men would study their own convenience and choose a day best suited to their inclinations, a day bearing no divine authority, and he has stated plainly that the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord. Men could not place themselves more decidedly in opposition to God's work and to his law than by upholding a day that is without evidence of sanctity and professing to worship him on that day. You know, we understand that the great controversy, the battle between God and Satan is all about worship, as we mentioned earlier. God is worthy of of our worship. Revelation 4 verse 11 says the song that we sing at prayer meeting, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are created. You see, God is our creator and when we keep and observe his Sabbath day, we are reminded of his creative power. Satan desires our worship. If you go to Isaiah 14 and verse 13, Satan will use the word I five times. I will be like the Most High. I will ascend to the stars of heaven. I will have my throne above the throne of God. On and on he went. Satan desires our worship. And like everything else, for every truth that God has given us, Satan has come up with a counterfeit, which leads to our final point, number three. Do we still need to keep the Sabbath? Go with me to Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66, <coughs> verse 22 and 23. Isaiah 66, verse 22 and 23. The Bible tells us, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me. You see, the Sabbath was instituted at creation. It has been kept on down through time by God's faithful, and it will be enduring all the way to the new earth where God will create a new heaven and a new earth. And once again, people will come from Sabbath to Sabbath to worship him. You see, the Sabbath is enduring as the truth of God. It is enduring because it is part of God's character reflected in His law. You know, people say, well, yeah, but God said that the Sabbath would endure to all of the children of Israel's generations. 
And we're not the children of Israel. I want you to go with me to Galatians chapter 3. We're bringing this to a close. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26. Remember God said that His Sabbath would be kept by all of Israel's generations throughout time. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26. We know that at one point when Israel rejected Jesus, that the gospel went to the Gentiles. And Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 20, Galatians 3 verse 26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is to get neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ... Then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see, spiritual Israel will keep the commandments of God all the way to the end of time. We know that because in Revelation 14, 12, we are told what? Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, right? And we know that in Revelation, go with me to Revelation 22, 14. Our last thought from Scripture today, Revelation 22 and verse 14. Revelation 22 and verse 14. The Apostle John says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and they enter in through the gates into the city. You see, my brothers and sisters, today as we bring this to a close, the Sabbath is a sign between God and His children forever. It is a continual reminder, if kept, that He is our Creator, our Redeemer, and our Lord. And with the last thought, I want you to think of this today. This is from 8 Manuscript Release, page 99. Those only who through faith in Christ obey all of God's commandments, which will reach the condition of sinlessness in which Adam lived before his transgression. They testify to their love of Christ by obeying all his precepts, including the one relating to the observance of the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, the day that he blessed and sanctified, because that in it he had rested from all his work. Why did God say, remember? He knew that man would forget, thus forgetting his creator. He knew that the Sabbath was a sign and a seal for those who are faithful to him. He knew that it will be the key issue of the battle in the great controversy just before he returns. He knew that it will be kept throughout all eternity by those who truly love him and keep his commandments. Today, God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I hope today that each one of us realizes that what the Sabbath means to us is going to determine whether or not when we are really faced with the test, we will be able to stand firm to the truth of the Sabbath that we know in Christ. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.